Hey, I'm Emily. And I'm Ed. And we're Cultured. Nature's candy. <laughs> Skeeter says that about beets. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, on like the first episode. What is it that uh, they don't want it? That Doug doesn't want to eat. It's like liver and beets. Liver and onions, probably. Oh right. <laughs> Which I mean is fucking disgusting. So is that a real meal that people eat? Yeah, and liver's dis- liver's really fatty. It's like gristly. I mean, and liver's. Filter everything nasty out of your body. It's like, what? Literally, why do I want to eat that? Yeah, ew. I mean, I wouldn't eat any part of an animal. I mean, I don't do that either. But maybe like a human liver if they volunteered it. I don't want anything's liver. (laughs) I don't want nobody's, nothing's liver. What's new? So much. Yeah? I went back to work. Okay. We started, we talked about on our other episode. But, uh, I work from, I have to be at work at 7 a.m., which is insane to me, but I did it once so far. I have to do it again tomorrow. (laughs) Um, Best of luck to you. Thank you. I recently became a plant dad. Congrats. Didn't realize you were plant pregnant. It was a shock to me, too. I just gave birth to a bunch of plants. Right into the toilet. (laughs) Um, But that makes sense that I would give birth to plants. Like, what else? Yeah. It's, um, It's really wild that the quarantine is still going strong pandemic's still going strong and I'm going back to work and other places are slowly opening up it's all around weird and scary it's very upsetting all of it's terrible but we're not talking about that today we are in fact talking about mermaids I feel like we kind of talk about mermaids on every episode. That's just literally only because you mentioned the lore on every episode. <laughs> I have, um... Yes? To tag all of our episodes Oh, no. <laughs> Mermaid piping. Ed yeah. is, uh, via FaceTime showing me his mermaid Ken. <laughs> Which is, I'm not gonna lie, a little upsetting. <laughs> I have a problem. So, mermaids, according to the completely legitimate academic text, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, are sentient, magical beasts that live underwater. They are found all over the world. Their customs and habits are mysterious, and they, like centaurs, were offered the being status but refused in favor of beast, as they did not want to be placed in a status with hags and vampires. Fair. 
Merpeople can breathe above the water for a time, but it is unclear if they can ever truly leave their habitat. Why are you... Why, why would J.K. Rowling be the authority on merpeeps? I don't see anyone else trying to put them in an encyclopedia <laughs> as if they're real. Okay. Anyway, so there's a lot to dive into here. Today, we're going to just go over a timeline of historical sightings and evidence of mermaids, and then we'll talk more about mermaids next week as well. What's your, uh, like, history or experience with mermaids? I don't really know how to answer that. (laughs) Why don't you answer it as if you asked it to yourself, and then I will follow. I feel like I've always been pretty into mermaids. Uh, the Little Mermaid. <laughs> the Little Mermaid was the first uh, movie I've ever seen in theaters. Same, I wanna say. I don't know. It came out in 1989. It had a second theatrical run. Thanks. Oh, did it? Yeah. When? I don't remember. Oh, that's funny. A couple years after. That's I for years thought it came out in like 1992 because I. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. I didn't realize it had been in theaters before I saw it. I, yeah, I was, like, super, that was, like, my first, like, that was the first, like, Disney Renaissance movie, and then, Mm -hmm. even though I was, like, two, (laughs) I was, like, obsessed with it. Uh, I think I might have told the story on the podcast already about the incident with the Dinklehopper. I don't recall. You should just get into it. Uh, I mean, this is less about mermaids and more just a tragic story, but I... So I guess, like, the next year it came out on VHS, probably, and I, like, watched it all the time, and I... uh, One morning, my mom was asleep, and my dad was awake with me downstairs, and I asked him for a dinglehopper to play with, which is what Scuttle in The Little Mermaid calls forks, and he says it's what humans used to comb their hairs. Of course. Um, So my dad hands me a kitchen, hands me a fork in the kitchen, and then I run (laughs) from the kitchen into my living room holding a fork, and I trip and fall and stab myself in the eye (laughs) with a fork. And I had to go to the ER, and that's actually one of my earliest memories of anything ever. That's fun. Actually, one of my earliest memories is my second birthday party, and I opened up my biggest present, and it was a Little Mermaid tricycle that I had for a while. It was, the main part of it was sea green, that, like, light aqua color, and then the wheels and the handles were lavender, Ooh. And it was Very like a big wheel colors. kind of thing. It was really cool. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say that I've ever particularly been into mermaids. I have a hard time choosing a favorite Disney movie, but I think I've often defaulted to The Little Mermaid. I, yeah, I feel like it's been my favorite since I was two and I'm never gonna it's never gonna change yeah I well it's weird because 
I definitely had phases where I was more into, like, every summer when a new Disney animated yeah. film came out, I was super into Mulan and, like, super into Hercules. But if I had to... I do really love Mulan, though. Yeah, I mean, Mulan's, like, a better heroine than Ariel. I don't know if that's fair. <laughs> She's, she has more agency. <laughs> She's less... There's nothing about, like... She just, like, wants to win a war. <laughs> which, the stakes are a lot higher in the one. I don't think she cares about winning the war. She just wants to protect her dad is, is yeah. her literal only thing that she cares about. And then, in doing so, has to just literally survive day to day. But, also, let's not forget that in The Little Mermaid, she's 16 years old. And so her interests are not any more or less valuable than mine were at that age. Yeah. So, let's take it back. First century AD, Pliny the Elder. He was a famous scientist. He wrote a book called Natural History. And he, in that book, wrote multiple accounts about Nereids, which is basically a mermaid-like creature that looks like a woman but has rough scales like a fish. And he claimed to have seen them himself, quote, sitting upon dolphins or other ocean creatures, he also reported uh, two Nereids being found dead on the shore and villagers hearing Titan playing his conch close to the shore. What year was that again? First century AD. Oh, wow. Which is not a year, but <laughs> I answered your question the best I could. <laughs> Jumping up a couple centuries, 11th century AD. Rabbi Shlomo Yitch. Yitzchaki. Sure. Obsessed with him. Just because his <laughs> middle name is, or his first name. His first name is not Rabbi. His first name is Shlomo. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki wrote about mermaids in the Talmud, which for anyone who is not Jewish or doesn't know for any reason, the Talmud is an ancient cool. Jewish text of law and legend it exactly reads there are fish in the sea with which half is in the form of man and half in the form of a fish called syrene in old french and it goes on to explain that they have beautiful singing voices and the jewish church actually doubled down on this because a couple centuries later when people were like i mean that's a metaphor or something, right? Like, he wasn't actually saying there are mermaids. And another learned rabbi was like, okay, let me break this down for you. They're half fish and half woman. There you have it. <laughs> uh, you don't do metaphors in uh, our religious texts? It's like, bitch, I said what I said. That's, uh, that's really wild. I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so, the Talmud's very uh, exciting. In 1250 AD, the Speculum Regale came out. I also don't know if I'm pronouncing literally any of this correctly, but I'm doing my best. So Speculum Regale was... An example of speculum literature, which were basically medieval books that would attempt to 
Basically, it was like they were trying to write an encyclopedia, but one book. And Speculum Regale is the modern Norwegian title. It means King's Mirror. It was originally written in Old Norse and intended for educational purposes. So this is literally an academic text. It describes... You said this is the Middle Ages? What? You said this is the Middle Ages? This is medieval times. Right, okay. That's, um, see, I, I was already, I'm just already, like, uh, surprised that in the first century AD and then, like, in whatever, a couple centuries later, that the Talmud, is that what it was called? Talmud. Um, that mermaids are, like, talked about them because I, I would think that, like, medieval times is, like, the first time that people would talk about, like... No, no, it goes way, way back. I mean, and like, this that's is... like, where, like, dragons and, like, other... Like, I don't know, I just think of, like, that time for, like, mythical creatures. I mean, they definitely believed in dragons during medieval times. Right. Also. <laughs> Oh, you're right. saying, oh, you're saying that's why you thought it didn't happen until then. I mean... Yeah, like, that's where I would think that, that that sort of stuff would have originated. We'll get into this when we talk more about mermaid lore in the next episode, but mermaid legends have existed basically as long as people have. This is just written historical records, which is interesting. So it's, it's the difference between a folktale and this was supposed to be, like, objective, factual academic texts. But yeah, they believed all kinds of crazy shit then. <laughs> true, true. But, nonetheless. So, the Speculum Regale describes a mermaid washed ashore on the coast of Greenland, saying, Like a woman as far down as her waist, long hands and soft hair, the neck and head in all respects like those of a human being. The hands seem to be long, and the fingers not to be pointed, but united into a web like that on the feet of water birds. From the waist downwards, this monster resembles a fish with scales, tail, and fins. This shows itself, especially before heavy storms. The habit of this creature is to dive frequently and rise again to the surface with fishes in its hands. I'm obsessed with that. I got fish! Here they are! Who's hungry? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of uh, my boyfriend and I were uh, recently at a nature preserve, um, for like a little hike and there were um there's just like all these crazy not crazy all these birds of prey that just happen to hang out there because it's a nature preserve and As they um, do. yeah it's actually really cool it's like in like southwest philadelphia it's not far i mean you can see birds of prey in fairmount park there's actually like, a couple of days ago i got really freaked out because i was going for a walk in fairmount park and there was a hawk circling, and this lady had a little tiny dog that wasn't on a leash and was just, like, on a picnic blanket with her oh, dog no. not paying attention. And I was like, I need to get out of here because I am not trying to watch that hawk eat that little dog. No. Anyway, you are saying? That hawk would. Um, well, there's, like, diagrams of, like, uh, what, what the different types of birds are. And for, like, osprey, there was, like, an illustration of an osprey with a fish in its talons and I was like I was like oh so like do all osprey always just carry fish around and that's how you know (laughs) (laughs) they're osprey yep that's how you know you see the mermaid when it's 
when she just comes out of the water with her fish. Yeah, definitely. It goes on to say, when sailors see it playing with the fish or throwing them towards the ship, they fear that they are doomed to lose several of the crew. But when it casts the fish from the vessel, then the sailors take it as a good omen that they will not suffer loss in the impending storm. This monster has a very horrible face with broad brow and piercing eyes, a wide mouth and double chin. So, yeah, so these mermaids are not beautiful sirens. And that... That's another question that I was going to have. Is there a difference between mermaids and sirens? Because at Starbucks, where I work, (laughs) our logo is a siren. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that too. two tail fins. And, and and like, there's, like, people that are like, that's the difference. And I'm like, I don't know. No, that's that's not a definitive thing. Literally, it's just a difference of where and when the legend is. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it, there's not a notable difference. It's not like a genus that has a, <laughs> a differentiating feature. 1403. Allegedly, uh, and there are records of this, a mermaid was captured in the Dutch city of Kampen. So, okay. what had happened was... I would just, I would trust a, a record from 1403. I mean, what are people going to say about us in a couple hundred years, you know? <laughs> like, 600 years say, from now, they're like, yeah, right, like, I'm going to believe this Zanga. <laughs> so, what happens is, the dike around the city... Flooded. Uh, What's a dike? It's a girl that likes other girls. No, it's a flood wall. Jesus Christ. It's not even spelled the same. Also, I would never say it in that context. I know. I was just being a dick. Anyway, so the dike around the city of Kempen breaks. So, I mean, a dike is basically just a flood wall. So water flows in from the sea into this river that flows through the town. And even after the dike was repaired, townspeople started uh, reporting that they had seen a mermaid in the river. And at first, this scared the shit out of them. But over time, when she proved more or less harmless, they were like, well, we might as well drag her to shore and force her into going to church so she can get saved and shit. Yeah, that's all mermaids are looking for that naturally follows they're like jesus where are you (laughs) i got your fish (laughs) i when i think about the mermaids coming up with fish all i can think about is the loaves and the fishes and how to work mermaids into that (laughs) (laughs) so anyway so they drag this mermaid onto land and when they bring her on the land she sprouted two legs but she couldn't talk what does that (gasps) sound like Um, Sort of. Despite being cleaned up and made into a proper lady, the mermaid repeatedly tried to escape back into the water, but was thwarted every time. Kidnapped. Yeah, there and there are multiple different versions of the story where, like, she'll try to jump out a window or just run straight into the sea, and every time they pull her back. Oh my god. (laughs) Uh, They're like. I don't want to be saved. I'd rather jump out of this window. What's really kind of fucked up, but also kind of funny, is that there are many historians who believe 
that this was not in fact a mermaid, but a deaf mute who just really, really liked to swim. <laughs> oh, fuck. I mean, if this is a true story, then that's... That makes way more sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, 1493, Christopher Columbus, fucking asshole, claimed yeah, to have seen... Yeah, he was not great. He claimed to have seen three mermaids uh, near Haiti and the Dominican Republic. He wrote this in his journal. They were not as beautiful as they are painted, although to some extent they have a human appearance in the face. Now, this is one of many examples where most historians believe that a person has mistaken manatees for mermaids. But I think that's How a weird... How does that happen? That's my thing, is that it'd be one thing for somebody who didn't know what they were doing to perhaps make that mistake. But Christopher Columbus is a seasoned explorer. He's an experienced seaman. Surely he's seen... <laughs> seaman. Really? You know what I mean, though. It's... It's... It's kind of like with the Mothman, how people want to explain the Mothman away by being overly logical and saying, it was this type of crane. And it's yeah. like... Yo, these are not city people. These are country people. They can tell if something's a bird or not. They're yeah. not dumbasses. And so it's like, that's a weird comparison. But you get what I mean, right? <laughs> it's that, not. They're like, the Mothman and mermaids are probably both cryptids, right? I my, my point being that it seems unlikely that someone who knows what they're doing would make that type of mistake, but... I mean, but I just, what do I how know? would anyone make that mistake if someone was like, oh, there's a cow swimming in the water, but really they don't it was look a like cows manatee. <laughs> I don't know. They don't look like humans. So <laughs> we skip ahead to 1603 when a mermaid is reportedly spotted off the coast of Wales. So there's a farmer named Thomas Reynold, and he was the first person to see the creature. And then he called other villagers over to see it too. And they all watched the mermaid just frolicking in the water for three full hours. It wasn't like, oh, we caught a glimpse of this thing. It was multiple people for an extended amount of time definitely saw it, or at least that's what they said. The story was, in fact, deemed credible enough that a formal report was filed with authorities and a composite sketch was produced. Oh, is that available somewhere? Yes, and it's terrifying. Really? <laughs> yes. Um, the report described the creature as, quote, a monstrous fish that appeared in the form of a woman from her waist upward. So 1608, this is just a couple years later, explorer Henry Hudson wrote in his journal, This morning, one of our company looking overboard saw a mermaid, and calling up some of the company to see her, one more came up, and by that tune she was come close to the ship's side, looking earnestly on the men. A little after, a sea came and overturned her. From the navel upward, her back and breasts were like a woman's, as they say that saw her. Her body as big as one of us, her skin very white and long hair hanging down behind of color black. In her going down, they saw her tail, which was like the tail of a porpoise and speckled like a mackerel. Oh. This is, again, just a couple speckled years... Speckled mermaid. Happens. It's like, it's like freckles. So, 1614, this is just a couple years later, John Smith, who we all know from his non-role in the whole Disney movie. Pocahontas thing. Okay, that's not real. 
The wild thing is, is that the sequel is kind of more historically accurate, but it's very bad. And that's why they don't make those kind of films historically accurate. Oh, really? I've never seen, I was always like, oh my God, these Disney sequels look terrible. The it's only a one shameless I actually cash watched, grab. The only one I actually watched was The Little Mermaid and it was bad. It's very bad. Um, the Aladdin ones aren't terrible. Oh, no. The Aladdin ones are good. Yeah. Return of Jafar kind of fucking rules, and some of the songs from King of Thieves are really fun. King of Thieves is, like, a beautiful movie. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> anyway. Like, all that, like, gold from the Hand of Midas. I love it. Well, in the... I love that the whole thing's on the back of the giant turtle. That's pretty wild. Anyway. Add that to a list of reasons to get Disney+. Plus. So... And, well, so in Pocahontas 2, Pocahontas was never with John Smith like that. No. She so was in, also, like, 11. Oh, gross. And, well, anyway, so Pocahontas goes to England, and she ends up not with John Smith, but with John Rolfe, who is actually who she married. And she did end up in England, where she passed away because she did, had no immunity to European diseases. And that doesn't happen, but she does dump John Smith for John Rolfe, and it's really upsetting <laughs> from a narrative she's standpoint. Like, and Like, John Smith is in the movie and yeah. she dumps him? Yeah. That's <laughs> so bizarre. I know, it's very <laughs> odd. You're, like, clutching your pearls right now. <laughs> what? <laughs> what a weird children's movie. <laughs> anyway, so, so John Smith, the real person, not the character from the Disney film Pocahontas, allegedly spotted a mermaid when sailing off the coast of what is now Massachusetts. But wait, he, that's another thing about John Smith. He is just a liar. Like, every, his, I forget what I was watching this on, but, like, he was, like, the type of, he, like, wrote, like, biographies and stuff and, like, texts and stuff that were all just, like, complete bullshit like he was just like a oh. terrible person and then had these like grandiose adventures that just weren't real so i have other reasons to be skeptical of this account but let's hear it first so supposedly his journal reads the upper part of her body perfectly resembled that of a woman and she was swimming about with all possible grace near the shore large eyes rather too round a finely shaped nose a little too short well-formed ears, Ew. I know, so rather too long, and her long green hair imparted to her an original character by no means unattractive. Oh, cool. Like, her, her eyes are too round, and her nose is a little too short, but her green hair is pretty hot. Still would. <laughs> so, a <laughs> lot a of, I don't know John Smith to be a pathological liar, as you're saying. I don't not believe you. But the reason... I, just, I mean, I just saw, like, one thing about it, and I just ran with it, but I'm pretty sure it's, it was true. <laughs> so, historians, a lot of them anyway, do not believe this account to be factual, not because of John Smith's credibility, but because the earliest traceable evidence of this account is actually an 1849 newspaper article by none other than Alexander Dumas, who wrote Three Musketeers, and they suspect that he was embellishing. Which, I guess, makes sense. That's a big thing to make up and then straight up put in a newspaper, but what do I know? <laughs> um, 
1670, the Lutheran Reverend Lucas Debs, uh, again, guesstimating these pronunciations, I apologize if anyone knows them to be incorrect. Sounds right to me. So, Reverend Debs was not just a priest, but he was also a topographer and a celebrated writer. He lived in the Faroe Islands, which are a territory of Denmark. And he at one point wrote an account stating, There was seen by many of the inhabitants a mermaid close to the shore. She had long hair on her head, which hung down to the surface of the water all round about her. She held a fish in her right hand. There she goes. He did not provide much context in his writing. So a lot of people are, again, sort of skeptical. My thoughts on that is, why would an educated man of God straight up make that up actually i take that back (laughs) (laughs) i don't i don't see him having a reason to lie i guess is all i'm saying that if he's like a pious well-respected man why would he make that shit up i guess so are you coming from like mermaids are real and here's historical proof (laughs) no i'm just i'm just providing whatever evidence there is which is all eyewitness testimony so to speak which is as any true crime fan knows the the most unreliable like that and fiber evidence are are bullshit anyway so 1716 boston naturalist and that word comes up a lot because it would be generous to call these people scientists but basically they're like experts in or students of natural history So this Boston naturalist named Cotton Mather wrote a letter. Isn't that that the the guy from Scream? Cotton Mather? I don't know. William Shriver plays? William Shriver? I don't know. That sounds right, though. Right? I don't know. Anyway, so he writes a letter to the Royal Society in London, and the letter is titled, A Triton. Now, this guy is, he's a naturalist, he's a prominent author, he's a scientist, quote-unquote, and a Harvard grad, so this is a smart guy, and he was a... Oh, Harvard. And he was a fellow of the Society, which the formal name is the Royal Society of London for Improving Natural Knowledge. It's an academic society for English nobility, so they're not letting just any old body in. And he explained in the letter that until recently, he considered mermaids no more real than, quote, centaurs or sphinxes, but that he had lately... That's bo- rude, says centaurs and sphinxes. Also, sphinxes are real. Egyptians built them. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't aliens. Anyway. <laughs> but he went on to explain that lately he had changed his mind because he had personally borne witness to, quote, Three honest and credible men nearly catching one in Branford Harbor in Connecticut. What's with, like, all the men trying to catch mermaids? They're just, like, were they also trying to be, like, you need Jesus? Maybe a little, but I think also at the time when you could still potentially make a case for them being real, if you could catch one, you could prove that they existed. I think that's the main thing. So... By all accounts, that would be a credible person. Like, this is an educated, intelligent person who's part of an academic society. But 
on the record, Mather was also denied a position at Harvard because he had a very gleefully active role in the Salem witch trials. So, like... Gleefully active? That's yeah, gross. He, he was... I want to see these women murdered. Well, so, and that's the thing, is that for someone who believes in witches to that extent to then be like, and mermaids, makes me be like, ooh, maybe not then. Did anyone even, like, did the people, whatever. I mean, the Salem <laughs> Witch Trials just, I don't, I feel like it's not like, oh, these people believed in witches. It was just like, men get to persecute women and get away with it. I think... I think a lot of ancient, not ancient, that's not ancient. I think a lot of older traditions are based on people trying to create order in a chaotic world. And so I think if you can blame something on, for instance, a mermaid being a bad omen, or you can blame it on a woman who's doing witchcraft, then then that gives you a sense of of control in a world that you cannot also, there's, like, the theory that the Salem Witch Trials was, like, mass hysteria. Yeah, mass hysteria is a weird thing. Anywho, so 1718, a painting is done by Samuel Fowlers. Now, so the 18th century was, like, peak European colonialism time, which, gross, but okay. And they obviously couldn't take photos on their journeys so artists would accompany the explorers to draw or paint the new worlds that they were quote-unquote discovering and Samuel Fowler's was one such dude he was like a well-known artist and he would go on these trips and paint these new unexplored lands and he had his work published in a bunch of different places a zoological textbook a natural history by Louis Renard among other things and in 1718, he painted a mermaid, and he claimed okay. that, as with his other work, he had painted it from life. He told people... What? Is, uh, is this painting available, too? Yeah. You should post uh, on our Instagram that this painting and that um, police sketch or whatever we call it. Yeah, I'll get <laughs> right on that. I'll get right on that. Right right now. Bye. Anyway, so he tells people that not only did he draw it from life, but what had happened was he caught the mermaid himself, brought her into his home, drew her, and then attempted to keep her. He wrote that he kept her in a container of water and that she squeaked like a mouse. And that after... Can't you... Isn't that cute and sad? Her being like... But don't they, like, sing and have beautiful voices? Not when they're stuck on land for days at a time. And so that's the thing. After four days, the mermaid allegedly died of starvation because she had refused to eat while in captivity. What a fucking this guy. Yeah, I mean, they they all are. If they don't think that women deserve basic human rights, they certainly aren't going to believe that half women deserve basic human rights. And probably, like, the same story as, like, the other person where, where they're like, oh, it was probably just a deaf mute person that they were trying to take to oh, church. God. Oh, God. It's just, like, some poor woman. Like, some a, other vulnerable type of person, yeah. Just, like, in a glass <laughs> tub of water. I don't know why I said glass, but in a tub. Whatever he said it was, that he kept her in. 
And it's like, I don't know why she died. So, in 1736, Benjamin Franklin, the homeboy. So he, right? He reported in his newspaper, the Pennsylvania Gazette, quote, from Bermuda, they write, that a sea monster has been lately seen there, the upper part of whose body was in the shape and about the bigness of a boy of 12 years old with long black hair. The lower part resembled a fish. He was first seen on shore and taking to the water, was pursued by people in a boat who intended to strike him with a fish gig. But approaching him, the human likeness surprised them into compassion, and they had not the power to do it. Oh, well, that's nice. This is the first group of people that's Who were, like, moved by the fact that it was humanoid. Yeah. Oh, we need to trap this and take it out of the water. Also, is this the first merboy? I think that we've mentioned so far, yeah. So, 1801, this dude, Governor Van Battenberg, he was... Yeah. <laughs> you like that? Everyone's names are so ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it was a wild time. <laughs> So this guy was the Dutch governor of the island of Berbice. I have a feeling that's wrong. Berbice? Island of Berbice? Regardless, he wrote accounts of mermaid sightings around this island that was at the time under Dutch rule. He said, The upper portion resembles the human figure, the head smaller in proportion, sometimes bare, but often are covered with a copious quantity of black hair. The shoulders are broad and the breasts large and well-formed. The lower portion resembles the tail portion of a fish, is of immense dimension, the tail forked, and not unlike that of the dolphin, as it is usually represented. The color of the skin is either black or tawny. The animal is held in veneration and dread by the Indians, his word, not mine, who imagined that the killing, who imagined that killing it would be attended with the most calamitous consequences. It is from this circumstance that none of these animals have been shot and consequently not examined but at a distance. They have generally been observed in a sitting posture in the water, none of the lower extremity being discovered until they are disturbed, when, by plunging, the tail appears and agitates the water to a considerable distance round. They have been always seen employed in smoothing their hair or stroking their faces and breasts with their hands or something resembling hands. In this posture and thus employed, they have been frequently taken for Indian women bathing. Probably just a manatee. <laughs> well, that's... I almost would find a an account by native people to be more credible than these explorers. And there are... But well, that wasn't an account of a native person. That was... But he, but he talks about... I know, but he talks about the relationship that the natives yeah. have. And they have, like they tended to, for most things, a reverence for them. And Is there... Do you have that, too? That like there are passages you'll read from like never mind. I don't. You didn't ask a question. I don't. I know. know. <laughs> Sorry. My question is: Is it all the accounts of white people? There's a lot of Dutch and like. Uh, well, a lot of like Native Americans. And other native peoples didn't have a written language. So it's hard. And we, like, genocided the shit out of them. So we don't have their... 
We didn't ask questions. We yeah. just murdered. Yeah, so unfortunately there aren't many records. Although, and I believe I'll get to this in a little bit, there was specifically evidence of Canadian natives having a relationship with people. Okay. So William Monroe, 1809. This guy's a school teacher in northern England, and he claimed to have discovered a mermaid combing her hair, this is a pattern, near the shore. His detailed written account, which I have cut way down, it is so wild and difficult to read because it's that, I mean, this is like... Old English? Or? Not old English, but it's that overly wordy... I don't know. You'll see. Anyway, so he says, about 12 years ago, in the course of my walking on the shore of Sandside Bay, being a fine warm day in summer, I was introduced <laughs> to extend my walk towards Sandside Head when my attention was arrested by the appearance of a figure resembling an unclothed human female sitting upon a rock extending into the sea and apparently in the action of combing its hair, which flowed around its shoulder and of a light brown color. That was one sentence. Just... <laughs> The resemblance which the figure bore to its prototype and all its visible parts was so striking that had not the rock on which it was sitting been dangerous for bathing, I would have been constrained to have regarded it as really a human form. The forehead was round, the face plump, the cheeks ruddy, the eyes blue, the mouth and lips of a natural form resembling those of a man. It remained on the rock three or four minutes after I observed it and was exercised during that period in combing its hair, of which it appeared proud, and then dropped into the sea, from whence it did not reappear to me. I had a distinct view of its features, being at no great distance on an eminence above the rock on which it was sitting and the sun brightly shining. Immediately before its getting into its natural element, it seemed to have observed me. It may be necessary to remark that previous to the period I beheld this the object, I had heard it frequently reported by several persons, and some of them persons whose veracity I've never heard disputed, that they had seen such a phenomenon as I have described, though then, like many others, I was not disposed to credit their testimony on this subject. I can say of a truth that it was only by seeing the phenomenon I was perfectly convinced of its existence. If the above narrative can in any degree be subservient towards establishing the existence of a phenomenon hitherto almost incredible to naturalists or to remove the skepticism of others who are ready to dispute everything which they cannot fully comprehend, you are welcome to it. <sighs> no, he is just like, I saw a mermaid. Yeah, I mean, basically he's just very, and I, trust me, I cut out so much, he's so redundant. <laughs> But basically, he just, he provides this distinct, like, very detailed description. He says he saw it for several, not just a glimpse, he saw it, watched it for several minutes and saw it see him and then jump back into the ocean. And he reiterates, much like the Bostonian guy, hey, I would not have believed this if I had not seen it myself, kind of thing. So do you think, is there a period of time where mermaids just stepped showing up no not really they still pop up every once in a while uh the most recent account i've heard of was 2009 i believe oh really so same year this lady miss M mckay she what was year again? same not year 1809 okay she was the daughter of a respectable scottish minister she wrote a letter to the Kentish Gazette paper claiming to have seen a mermaid. She was taking a walk with her cousin, and they noticed a couple of people standing on the shoreline looking terrified out into the water. 
And when she looked where they were staring, she saw a mermaid and her letter read, the face seemed plump and round, the eyes and nose were small, the former were of a light gray color and the mouth was large and from the shape of the jawbone, which seemed straight, the face looked short. The forehead, nose and chin were white, the whole side of the face a bright pink color. The head was exceedingly round and hair thick and long of a gray oily cast and appeared troublesome to it, the waves generally throwing it down over the face. It seemed to feel the annoyance and as the waves retreated with both its hands frequently threw back the hair and rubbed its throat as if to remove any soiling it might have received from it. That's interesting. I'm still, every time you like read these descriptions of mermaids, I am trying to think of why someone would be like, oh, that was probably just a manatee. (laughs) I mean, I was going to get into this later, but I think that the descriptions these people are giving sound a lot more like a manatee than the pictures we see. Because none of these, most of these people have not been like... manatees don't have like a long mane of hair, which is, and they don't have hands. (laughs) So actually they have five webbed fingers. Oh, really? Yeah. And I just imagine them with, like, flippery things. No, they they have, I mean, they're not fingers, but you know what I mean. It does yeah. look like five distinct okay. things. And a lot of these descriptions are not the conventionally attractive women that we see in yeah. paintings of mermaids. They have fat faces. They have, it's just interesting. Like, when I have seen people who drew from these descriptions, it looks a lot more like a manatee than a person. <laughs> but is it a manatee with, like, long hair that they're combing? And I don't know. Sorry, hater. Look scared and annoyed by, like, waves and onlookers? Okay, so this is around the same time. 1810. A lot of sightings around this time. There are a slew of merchild sightings in Britain. The British press reported that two merchildren were found on the Isle of Man. A fisherman thought he heard a dying bird. When he followed the sound, he discovered two mer-children. One was dead, and the other one was clinging to life. So he assumed, I know, he assumed they'd been injured in a recent storm that had happened, and so the fisherman took the injured one home and nursed it back to health. He claimed that both the mer-children were about two feet long and had the torso of a normal human child but the tail of a fish and that their hair was stringy and green, almost like seaweed, and that their skin was a pale brown. Which, I used the word tawny a few times. If anyone doesn't know, that's like a orangey brown. So they're dark, darker complected. Allegedly, the fisherman fed the merchild mussels, and sometimes it would also drink milk, and when it seemed like it was well enough, he just released it back to sea. Good for him. Yeah, what a nice person who, what like, a, you know, basically human apple. person. Yeah. <laughs> That's just like, oh, a tiny merchild. Well, don't let that it. get your spirits up because a couple decades later in 1830, a Scottish village found another merchild. A, a young Scottish boy was actually the first to spot the creature. And apparently he was so frightened of it that he threw rocks at it until it died. Other versions. Children are the worst. I know, and other human children. Married children are precious. Feed them, throw them back in the water. Sure, muscles and milk only. Throw them in the trash. Literally, throw the whole child in the trash. 
So other versions of this same report say that the whole village took part in hurling stones at the merchild and that, yeah. I know, and that the merchild's body didn't wash up onto the shore until a few days later, that like it was out in the water and they threw stones at it and then it washed up later, which is just heartbreaking. A written account reads... Who is, like, whose reaction is like, oh, like a vaguely humanoid creature in the water... Let's get the whole village together to throw rocks at it. I mean, they were scared of it. I guess that's at least sort of valid. I mean, I would like to think I wouldn't do it, but I can wrap my head around it. I could never throw rocks at, like, anything. If it was a humanoid thing with a huge fishtail that looked like it could hurt you and you'd never seen anything like it before, you would not be afraid of that? I wouldn't throw rocks at it. I'm a pacifist. Okay, word. Well, I think it's hard to say what you would have done in 1830, but what do I know? (laughs) Anyway, a written account of the incident reads, the upper part of the body was about the size of a well-developed child of three or four years of age with an abnormally developed breast. The hair was long, dark, and glossy while the skin was white, soft, and tender. The lower part of the body was like a salmon, but without scales, which is interesting and specific. (laughs) At any rate, the villagers did, at least by written accounts, put the body in a coffin and bury it in the local churchyard. So they had some, I guess, level of respect for it. I guess maybe when they got a closer look at it and realized how humanoid it was. Who knows? 1886. This is perhaps the first recorded sighting of mermaids in Canada. Fishermen of Cape Breton, which is an island off the coast of Nova Scotia, claimed to have spotted mermaids, like many fishermen. Their accounts were deemed credible enough to be reported on in the Cape Brooklyn Eagle newspaper, which wrote, The fishermen of Gabarus, Cape Breton, have been excited over the appearance of a mermaid. While several fishermen were out on a boat, they observed floating on the surface of the water a few yards from the boat what they supposed to be a corpse. Uh. Yeah. Approaching it for the purpose of taking it ashore, they observed it to move when, to their great surprise, it turned around in a sitting position and looked at them and disappeared. A few moments after, it appeared on the surface and again looked toward them, after which it disappeared altogether. The face, heads, shoulders, and arms resembled those of a human being, but the lower extremities had the appearance of a fish. The back of its head was covered with long, dark hair resembling a horse's mane, The arms were shaped like a human being's, except that the fingers of one hand were very long. The color of the skin was not unlike that of a human being, which, hi, human beings have lots of different colors of skin, but whatever. (laughs) There is no doubt... I got somewhere in, like, the beige to brown. Yeah, somewhere in that Crayola pack. There is no doubt that the mysterious stranger is what is known as a mermaid and the first one ever seen in Cape Breton waters. So, similarly, from the 1890s to the 1910s, there were a number of Scottish sightings. Lots of Scottish people, allegedly. Literally hundreds of witnesses saw what came to be known as the Dearness Mermaid in the Newark Bay. One person wrote, It's about six to seven feet in length, has a little black head with neck, a snow-white body, and two arms, and in swimming it just appears like a human being. At times it will appear to be uh, sliding on a sunken rock, and will wave and work its hands. And then over that time, so this is over like 20 years, 
More sightings supposedly occurred off the shore of the southeastern coast of Hoy, which are the Scottish Orkney Islands, so this is a different part of Scotland. One report says, witnesses when visiting their lobster creel the other day saw a strange creature which looked like a mermaid. It rose out of the water to the height of three feet and looked like a lady with a shawl around her shoulders and streaming down her face. This is the third occasion it has been seen at close range by them. The oldest people have never seen anything like it before and wonder what it can be. Some think it must be the Dearness Mermaid on tour. And then we're getting more closer to the present day now. 1943, there were multiple mermaid sightings by Japanese soldiers stationed in Indonesia during World War II. Oh, wow. Yeah, they, in particular, they alleged to have seen several off the coast of the Kai Islands in Indonesia. They described them as, quote, roughly four foot nine inches tall, pinkish skin, human-looking face and limbs, spikes along its head, which is the first we've heard that. How tall were they? Four foot nine. And then also, like, but the, the other ones were seven feet long. I mean, who knows? If mermaids are real, it tracks that there would be different species or strains of them. I don't know what the right just, word would be. Yeah, different heights. Like, you're four foot nine and I'm seven feet tall. That's the rudest thing I've ever heard. So at one point, a sergeant got sick of their shit and apparently went to investigate a dead mermaid that a bunch of the soldiers had spotted on a rocky shore, and he went out there expecting to be like, you guys are so stupid, that's not real. Instead, he came back and confirmed that he believed it to be real, and he actually tried to get scientists to examine it, but they refused because they just didn't believe him. They were like, we're not going to waste our time on that. Yeah. I hate that because, like, in all these other stories, it was like, there aren't scientists because science doesn't exist. And now there's science, and they're like, no, that's not real. I'm going to waste my time. It's so interesting, too, because, I mean, having gone to the Mothman Festival a bunch of times, when it comes to, I don't want to call mermaids cryptids if they're more humanoid, but even, like, the the people who are paranormal investigators or, like, cryptid investigators, they don't go searching for bullshit that's not true. A lot of the time, they end up disproving the thing that they're interested in. So, like, for instance, if someone was like, I'm going to go off and try to prove that mermaids exist, they would actually probably end up spending a lot of time going out and debunking a lot of mermaid-type hoaxes. Yeah. So it's... I I don't know why any scientist, out of a sense of intellectual curiosity, wouldn't want to at least give something a look, but what do I know? Yeah, and just say, like, no, this is fucking stupid. I'll show you why this isn't real. (laughs) That brings us up to the 90s, finally. The 1990s, that is. when What a great decade. Remember the 90s? Yeah, good decade for mermaids. So, Carl Bance, who's an American oceanographer, marine biologist, and currently is Professor Emeritus at University of Washington published a paper in an academic journal titled Mermaids, Their Biology, Culture, and Demise. And people in the scientific community were fucking not happy with him. (laughs) But he made some really interesting points. And I thought, you can find the article online or a big chunk of it. It's really kind of neat to read because he's basically just writing about mermaids as if they were real. But not 
not saying they are real, but just saying, well, if this was true, then this is what would follow. Let me explain by side. We are. What? We are real. We are real. Oh, get the Us fuck mermaids. out of here. So he <laughs> says, and this is actually kind of his statement of purpose for why he's writing it. It is critical, but also daring setting out from an anatomical observation about mermaids. My hypothesis is that mermaids should be taken seriously. Regrettably, I have to look for facts for supporting the hypothesis rather than resort to evidence for falsifying it. But at least at the end of this note, I will make a suggestion for follow-up work that requires methodology more in tune with present near dogma for the conduct of scientific inquiry. So he's basically saying there's no reason that we couldn't look at mermaids through a scientific lens. Yeah. He goes on to say, regarding mermaid behavior, a recurrent theme is the habit of females to haul out on beaches, usually in pairs, allegedly to seduce sailors. Their voices were repeatedly recorded as being, quote, irresistible. Perhaps they lowered, but the stark fact was that they then drowned the men and devoured their flesh. Similarly, when ships broke up in gales, the females pulled sailors down into their abodes for further disposition. So he, again, is just looking at this through the lens of, like, a biologist and saying, if I believe this is real, I believe that they, I guess it's not cannibalism because people aren't mermaids, but but that they were coming up to feed on people. (laughs) He also... That's a a huge part of mermaid lore, I feel like, that they eat people not really <laughs> sirens i feel like that's what i think of sirens they as. don't eat people no no they're I, they're, just, they, lo- they kill them they're just spiteful and bloodthirsty he also goes on to posit theories about like appearance-based details again based on scientific evidence and he also this is really cool he theorizes that an aquatic lifestyle like if there really were humanoid beings living underwater it would rule out a lot of technological advancements that have allowed us to have advanced societies like for instance we they couldn't have pottery because there's no fire and they couldn't have at least not as we think of them ropes clothing baskets because there aren't any plants underwater that are suitable for making fibers out of so you don't know well he he does though that's the what's interesting about it so he's saying that he, he would equate their culture from, a, again, a scientific standpoint to early human Stone Age type of culture. But okay. he also makes the point of saying that, quote, the physical want did not preclude a relatively advanced sociopolitical structure. So he's basically saying that they would not have made advancements in the way that we have, but there's not any reason that if they have human level intelligence, they couldn't have evolved. Like, emotionally, I guess, and sociologically. In 1998, a diver in, and I actually was a little unclear on this, because this mermaid encounter involves a guy named Jeff Leitcher, who is an experienced diver who is the managing partner, captain instructor, and videographer for Jack's Diving Locker in Kailua, Hawaii. Some of the accounts I read of his mermaid encounter said that he was diving off the coast of Kauai, Japan when this happened, but I think that was perhaps an error. I'm just including it in case. But anyway, so this very experienced diver says of this crazy experience he had, 
I'd heard about her before. Most of us who are out in these waters regularly have heard stories, but I'd never seen her until that morning. We were on our way to the point when a school of dolphins started following the boat, playing in our wake. Suddenly, one of the men on the port side starts yelling and pointing. I couldn't believe what I saw. There, not ten feet from the bow, was what looked like a nude woman. She had long, flowing hair and one of the most beautiful faces I've ever seen. But there's like no... a manatee. Right, exactly. But there's no way a human being could be swimming so fast. She was keeping right up with the dolphins. Then she leapt into the air, and my heart almost gave out on me. The entire lower half of her was covered with scales and tapered back into a huge fishtail. She jumped once more, then disappeared under the surface. And he goes on to say that later, while he was actually on the dive and taking underwater photos, the mermaid brushed right by him. He, he used the phrase, like a streak of lightning. Like it just barely, he barely even registered. And you can find his photo online that he took of her yeah. above him. It's, it's kind of neat. It might be total bullshit, but... It sounds like bullshit. I don't know. He, I mean, the 90s is too real. <laughs> Way too real. <laughs> Allegedly, the photo has been examined by, this is a quote, three noted photography labs, and all of them have deemed the photos authentic and not tampered with. I would struggle to explain. If the photo is real, I would struggle to explain what it is a photo of. I'll say that. But you've seen it. You'll have to look at it yourself, yeah. I, for some reason, didn't write this one in my notes, but it strikes me to include that in 2009, there was a, a bunch of people in Israel said they saw a mermaid, and whatever this city was offered a million-dollar reward to anyone who could produce photographic evidence of it. And That's a no, lot of money. And nobody ever did. So, anyway, this is more recent anyway, 2012. So, this is Zimbabwe. A bunch of government workers who had been hired to build a dam alleged that they were being hounded by a mermaid who did not want them there. Some, and this is fucked up, some of the workers ultimately went missing and the rest of them were like, fuck this, I am not finishing this dam. Local chiefs of, of local tribes performed rituals to fend off the mermaid type creature with one telling media outlets as a custodian of the traditional I have no doubt for anyone to dispute this is also disputing himself and everyone was so wigged out about it that they had to bring in like honky workers from another country from what workers honky white people who (laughs) were not going to have the same superstitions they must not have heard about all these Scottish mermaids, but whatever. I know, yeah. This is only white people lore so far. <laughs> That's not totally true. Again, it's just, this is historical record, and a lot of the, because white people are dicks, the only written records that we have in a lot of instances are the white people. Anywho, so... They brought in these new workers who were like, well, they don't have the same beliefs in this, so they're not going to wig out. But they then made the same claims and also refused to return to the building site, so the dam was never finished. Like, they abandoned the project altogether. That's so fun. So, I actually think 
that took longer than I thought it would. I think we might have to break this up a little bit further. And so next week we'll talk about mermaids in pop culture. And then the following week we'll talk about mermaid lore from ancient times up to the present and other stuff. <laughs> okay, Marcus Parks. Yep, that's me. That's how I feel when I, I love listening to uh, Last Podcast on the Left, and they're like, this will be a two-part series, and then it's like four weeks later, and they're like, we just have one more episode yeah. after this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really tried, but there's just so much information, and all of it's interesting, so it was hard to leave things out, and I, I see no reason why we shouldn't just do more episodes instead of I love it so much. I love your research. I love that there's so much, like, historical evidence up to I know, right? That's, so far. I just thought that was an interesting place to start because I feel like a lot of the time we start either from, like, a pop culture angle or from the standpoint of trying to debate whether or not they're real. And I think getting a a historical context from less of a folklore type of sense and more of a objective fact sense is just like a, a kind of a different place to approach the whole topic from. And like I said earlier, like I just imagined that like maybe people thought mermaids were real in medieval times and that was like the beginning and end of it. It's so fun to find out so much more. Right? I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty incredible how consistently throughout history people all over the world have believed in mermaids, and we'll get more into that. All over Scotland. <laughs> Especially Scotland. I mean, to be fair, the UK is surrounded by water. <laughs> Anywho, I guess it's time to move on to pop culture. Y'all wanna sing about it? Pop culture. Beautiful. Okay, so, I feel like every pop culture segment I start with COVID-19 celeb heroes and whatever. I will continue to do so as long as some celebrities continue to be good people. So, Trevor Noah is reportedly paying furloughed daily show workers out of his own pocket, which is an insanely nice thing to do. He's been shooting The Daily Show, which he's jokingly referred to, I believe, as the social distancing daily show, or the daily social distance, something like that. Anyway, he's been shooting it from home, so they don't need most of the usual staff. Like, anyone who can't contribute right. to the remote filming version of the show is furloughed for now. And so Trevor Noah is personally paying the salaries of 25 of those other regular crew members. That is a really sweet thing. Yeah. I, I'm not like a fan of his his daily show or his like comedy. And I'm not his biggest fan, but there are some clips from the Daily Show that I've really appreciated. I think he, I don't know, he's fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, a source close to the situation says he respects his crew tremendously and feels it's only right that they get through this together, which is. Super nice. That's, I was having a debate with someone the other day about how much of a burden is on celebrities to put their money where their mouth is. And I'm a big believer in, in if you have a platform and you have the means to right or wrong, then you should. 
And that doesn't mean that we have to accept the fact that the network isn't paying those crew members because the network could certainly afford to. But instead of being like, well, it shouldn't be on me. That should be on the network. He's doing something about it because he can. And yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Anyway, in pettier news, have you heard, <laughs> have you heard about this Demi Lovato Finsta drama? No. So I... This would not have come up on my radar, but I'm so glad it did because it's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. First of all, I had to Google what a Finsta was. It's a fake Instagram? Except it seems like it's actually a real Instagram. Yeah, it's more like, yeah, so a Finsta is like, I think the acronym, or not acronym, but I think it stands for fake Instagram, but it's it's more like... Someone's secret, real Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, allegedly, and I... I only heard about this because Demi Lovato is in, I, I believe, the third or fourth episode of Jamila Jamil's podcast, I Weigh, which I am really enjoying and actually really liked the Demi episode. But Jamila Jamil always prefaces the episode with just, like, a little bit about the person. And she mentioned that they had recorded it before this whole thing broke, but that they had addressed kind of the culture surrounding what has happened, so I'll just... Anyway, that's what made me curious, and even though they didn't mention it specifically in the episode because it hadn't happened yet when they recorded it, it was it made me curious. Anyway, so apparently Demi Lovato had this Finsta, and a bunch of content from her Finsta was leaked, and she's basically kind of trashing Selena Gomez in, like, most of it. <laughs> I was going to say, as soon as you mentioned Demi Lovato, I was going to be like... You mean Selena Gomez's ex-best friend? The account handle was at Trauma Queen, like with a T, Trauma Queen, numeral four, Eva, E-V-E, which is brilliant. And it does appear that the account has since been deleted. But one of the leaked images is a photo of Demi with a magazine cover that's a picture of her and Selena Gomez. And Selena Gomez's face is scribbled out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the caption is, you can call me Petty LaBelle. <laughs> <laughs> There's another one that's, the, the post itself is a screenshot of a Harper's Bazaar interview that Demi Lovato did recently. And in the interview, in the, in the part that's shown in the image, it says, I talked to Miley. She's awesome and I love her to death and always will, always have. But I think she's kind of the only one from that era that I still stay in touch with. And then the article continues, according to Lovato, she's not currently close with Selena Gomez either. Gomez, though, posted a supportive Instagram story after Lovato's performance at the Grammys. When you grow up with somebody, you're always going to have love for them. But I'm not friends with her, so it felt Lovato stops herself. I will always have love for her, and I wish everybody nothing but the best. And then she she posted the whole thing, like a screenshot of it, and then the caption was, I really did try to keep my fucking mouth shut, I swear, with a bunch of crying, laughing emojis. So, the natural instinct for a lot of Selena Gomez fans is to be like, fuck you, Demi Lovato, so petty, especially since you're Miss Anti-Bullying. Who would be a Selena Gomez fan over a Demi Lovato fan? I don't know, because I don't really like either of their music, and I just oh. assume that Demi Lovato's a cooler person, so that's who I pick. <laughs> it seems cooler. It's, like, 
nice that she's troubled, like she's relatable. Um, and her, I think her music's good, and her voice is incredible. I don't her, like her voice. I feel like she's Selena screaming Gomez. all the time. I mean, she has a better voice than Selena Gomez, I guess. That doesn't say much. <laughs> I think that uh, Demi Lovato reminds me of, like, Kelly Clarkson. No, Demi Lovato is always screaming. Anyway, so Kelly Clarkson, no, but she's doing it in a way that I don't literally think her voice is straining. Anyway, the instinct of a lot of like Demi Lovato fans or just normal people were like, <laughs> why are we assuming that this is real, right? Like it would be pretty easy to doctor these images. And the biggest case that the account was legitimately run by Demi Lovato is a video that someone published, which is like Instagram live stream footage that shows Demi and her boyfriend posting live from that account. Does that make sense? So there's like a live video. So a lot of people are like, you can't fake that. If she was live from that account, that means she's running it. But you definitely can fake that. So, And then in the most fucked up part, Hashtag Demi Lovato is over party was literally trending on Twitter and Instagram for like weeks, which is so stupid. I personally, I aspire to be at least this petty. So I don't <laughs> like, I think to fault someone for, and she, if she's doing it privately, especially is like, hi, she is human. And she doesn't like that girl because she's fake. And I, that's the thing I've always appreciated about Demi Lovato is it seems like she just will call a spade a spade and not pretend that she likes Taylor Swift and not, you know? Yeah. And so she's... Taylor Swift was probably the real instigator between their breakup. Well, the real... I'm trying to remember exactly the dynamics of this, but the real issue was that they both dated Joe Jonas. No. Selena Gomez dated Nick Jonas. No, Demi Lovato and Taylor Swift. Oh, okay. So that's no, that's at least a reason they never got along. But also Taylor Swift no, is I, like a bullshitty meant, fake person and Demi Lovato I doesn't fuck Taylor, with that. Right, I meant Taylor Swift was the breakup between Demi Lovato and Selena Gomez. I'm just, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that's like where a rift started and then yeah. with the added thing of like Miley versus Selena over... Nick Jonas, right. it, it just became a weird thing. Anyway, stupid stuff. But yeah, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't, this is I important think, stuff. I think in the Harper's Bazaar interview, she was diplomatic. <laughs> and I think she's entitled to talk shit about her ex best friend on her private Instagram that she thinks nobody's gonna see. Like, who fucking cares? I mean, I care. I definitely went down a rabbit hole with this and, like, was very curious about it. <laughs> Who cares besides me? <laughs> but, I mean, why would you fault someone for that, I guess is what I mean. I think it's a really silly thing. Like, it's not bullying because she didn't think anyone would ever see it. It's also not bullying to just state facts. <laughs> Are we both snapping? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, do you have any further thoughts on this? I just thought it was, like, interesting that it got blown up into such a big deal when it's like, dude, who, like, it 
might not even be real and if it is like she can do what she wants also like um okay i can see being like a selena fan and being like that that felt wrong selena gomez she's not selena selena i can see being a selena gomez fan and being like ugh, demi lovato's canceled or whatever that hashtag was over Demi Lovato, what was it? De- Demi Lovato uh, is over party. But like, like I said, Demi Lovato is like troubled. She has like a history with like drug abuse and like she's like suicidal. <laughs> like maybe like. Well, she, she needs seems to like vent. she's doing pretty well right now, and I don't think that any of that stuff is justification to be a dick to people. No, but, but it's like don't 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 come at her. Don't like. Well, and I think, so they're calling her a hypocrite because she's very, like, she'll speak out about how awful bullying is. And so people are like, she's being such a hypocrite because of this. I don't think that makes her a hypocrite because she also has been very candid about how imperfect she is. Yeah. And on the, on the episode of I Weigh, they talk a lot about the, the flawed nature of, cancel culture and it's a pretty good episode and it is funny how directly it relates to this situation even though this situation had not happened yet when they recorded it oh wow that's funny yeah anywho um here's some good news about stuff coming out on hbo first of all a trailer dropped for the new jordan peele thing it's a HBO show called Lovecraft Country. It's based on a 2016 novel by Matt Ruff, and it looks really spooky and upsetting. Okay. <laughs> as is his brand. Yeah. <laughs> it uh, apparently follows Atticus Turner, a black World War II vet and devoted sci-fi nerd whose father is kidnapped by a mysterious cult called the Order of the Ancient Dawn. And apparently the novel pays... It's, it's like an homage not just to the work of H.P. Lovecraft, but to the legacy of Lovecraft himself, who was like a really horrible racist and anti-Semite. So the novel weaves that context into the story and parallels it directly with America's own racist history, which is, I don't know, basically I'm saying that it's layered and it puts it directly in Jordan Peele's wheelhouse, so... It all adds up. Yeah, Jordan Peele is executive producing, as is J.J. Abrams. Oh, wow. And it is slated to premiere on HBO in August. And last but not least, also on HBO, a teaser has been dropped for the HBO documentary version of Michelle McNamara's I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Oh, wow. I am so excited. It... From what I can tell, looks like it's going to focus not just on the Golden State Killer and all that horrible shit, but on Michelle McNamara herself and her, like, obsession with bringing, you know, light into the darkness that was that whole case. Paul Holes is there. Karen Kilgariff is there. What more could you possibly all want? The, all, the, all, the, all the hits. Yeah. What a, um, just what a, like incredible story 
of like that Michelle McNamara has, and like she dedicated like so much of her life to like finding the Golden State Killer, and then like doesn't even know that he was caught. Right? Didn't she die before? Yes. She died before the book was finished, right? Yeah, and the book was the timing on that was pretty insane because the book was published posthumously like a, just a couple weeks before they caught him. Yeah. Which is insane. So wild. But yeah, she was a cool lady and it looks like a really good, it's going to be a six part documentary series and it comes on HBO June 28th. So I will be oh, wow. watching that. That's all I got for today. You got anything? Um, well now I have a few things. Oh, well, just speaking of HBO, mm-hmm. uh, this past Sunday was the season three finale of Westworld. Oh, was it? <laughs> yeah, that's what. Uh, that's why. Uh, that's I'm why not I was caught like, up. I need to watch this. <laughs> I have been watching, but I'm not caught up. It's so good. I like so. I mean, just season one is like the most perfect television show ever, and then season two was like weird and fine and then I, I don't like, think it was weird and fine I think it was weird and bad I think it was fine I think I didn't like it when I watched it the first time and then when I watched it the second time I was like okay I get it now but um season three from the beginning I thought like wow this is so much better than season two and it's just so good and one of the things that I like really loved about season one was like the emotional um storylines of like the hosts and like there were so many episodes in season one that just like brought me to tears and I cried twice (laughs) during the season three finale. Jesus Christ. (laughs) So it felt like it was like a return to form and I'm also still upset about some things. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But it's already they've already announced that there's going to be a season four so hopefully... You know, if I... the world ever gets set in motion again. Yeah. But hopefully, if, like, this, the things that I'm upset about are kind of... Uh... Is it stuff that's unresolved, or just stuff that you didn't like the way it was resolved? So, like, the thing that I'm upset about seems to have been, like, a final thing that I'm hoping, like, because it's, like, robots and you can always, like, just... <laughs> they can always come back to life at any time. Not to, I, that already sounds like I'm spoiling too much, but it's just like, I'm hoping like when season four comes along, it'll be like, okay, just kidding. But it was, there was something that happened that was really upsetting. And then, um, but then the other thing that like, the thing that like actually like made me like cry, cry was just, I, never mind. I can't talk about it without spoiling everything. Yeah, let's not. But yeah, we'll talk about it for sure when I, Get caught up. We'll talk about it in person. Um, and then no, uh, we'll never talk about it in person because I stay I inside meant... and away from <laughs> all people. I meant um, FaceTime off, to FaceTime off the podcast, not recording. We'll talk about whatever. It. Anyways, but, uh, so the thing that I wanted to say for my pop culture thing, this is already like a couple weeks ago, maybe or a week ago, but uh, my boyfriend. Ansel Elgort, star of Baby Driver. <laughs> he, uh, on uh, his Instagram, he posted 
a basically nude photo of himself. He's like in the shower or something. And he's like, he just has his hand over his dick and you can like kind of see parts of it. And it says, um, the caption on on the photo was, uh, subscribe to my OnlyFans, which are you familiar with OnlyFans? Or is that only is that only a gay thing? I think it's kind of gay. <laughs> so yeah, it's like um, it's like an amateur porn porn amateur porn website basically, where it's like I actually only have a fair idea of what it is because of an episode of Catfish. Okay, but it's basically like subscribe to my OnlyFans and see nude photos of me or see yeah that's what the dude was doing and then this gay guy was like no he was leading me on because he seemed gay because he had an only fans and they were like (laughs) no that doesn't mean you get to lie to him and try to trick him into fucking you that's not how that works but anyway um ansel elgort's only fans doesn't actually exist it was uh it was like see my link in bio but the link was to uh, like a GoFundMe for meals for like first responders for Aww. COVID in Brooklyn. Like, what a nice somewhere. trick! I know it was like a really super sweet, cool thing that he did. Did and you he give also, them like, money? Deleted... No, <laughs> I, will. I will. I will. Sure. Uh, he he also like deleted that post like the very next day i like oh, i actually almost sent it to you like the night that i saw it because i was just like oh my god what is happening and then i thought like i shouldn't send a woman a naked photo of a man that's rude Good call. <laughs> and then i actually also i wanted to add this as another pop culture thing uh it's pop culture for real um so I work across the street from Jefferson University Hospital, or Jefferson Hospital, whatever it's called. And actually, like, when my store first closed, I was, they were, like, basically the only people that were coming in still mm-hmm. um, for, like, the last couple weeks. And, and then I felt, like, upset that, like, well, we talked about that a little bit before, that yeah. it kind of felt like you were performing a service for people who right. were helping. And now that yeah. I'm back at work, like, that's, like, the thing that, like, I'm happy to do. It's, like, if, like I have, like, mixed, so many mixed feelings about it, but it's, like, you know, like, I'm scared to go back to work, but then I'm also, like, hear the real heroes, and I get yeah. to give them coffee so that they can do the Lord's work. Um, they, they have, uh, the, so the, the people that are doing, they have, they have like a drive through testing or something, okay. um, for COVID and, and the, the nurses that are, are doing that, they have an Instagram, they call themselves, um, the swab squad Cute. and they have an Instagram where they do like, kind of like dance, they do dances to songs and so one of them was, like, to a Sierra song. I didn't even know she was still making music. But um, it's called Level Up. Okay. And it, it went viral. And that, uh, that, so then they were on the Ellen show. Aww. And, yeah, and then on the Ellen show. Um, oh, they, it, 
part of the reason it went viral was because Sierra saw it and she reposted it on her own Instagram. That's so and neat. Then, then they were invited to Ellen and then, um, but obviously like in a FaceTime kind of thing. Oh, and, yeah. It was like, um, yeah. they're busy. <laughs> She's also doing it from home. Um, and then, and then they had, then Ellen had like a message from Sierra on it uh, to those Jefferson nurses. Aww. And it's just so cool because it's like, pop culture and it's like my customers and it's so yeah. fun and I'm really uh really excited for them and into it and I I just also want to praise them for again doing like I keep saying the Lord's work that's kind of a joke for me because I'm an atheist but you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> they're performing a public service essentially and it's cool the most that they're important getting public service that are on the front lines of trying to you know they're fighting the pandemic that's what they're doing yeah i'm serving them coffee and i'm i'm, I'm glad that I, I have i have my part in that you're fueling them yes cool that's really neat yeah word well suppose it's about time to wrap it up thank y'all for hanging with us i hope you're well and everything I hope you're still social distancing if you're able to, and... Oh my god, please keep social distancing. I just, even just going to work yesterday, I was like, I know the weather is so nice right now, but, like, why are there so many people outside? Just go home. Uh, Yeah, I have mixed feelings about that because I have enjoyed being able to spend time outside, but I've definitely tried to make sure I'm still social distancing as well. But anyway, yes... Be well, be good to each other, and, you know, follow us on Instagram and shit. (laughs) We're at Culture the Podcast on all the things. You can... Subscribe to our Patreon. Yeah. The link to our Patreon is on our Insta bio. Definitely become a Patreon. Give us some coins if you have them to spare, and you'll get an extra bonus episode every week. Not so week. Um... Tune around more, but I feel like one bonus episode per week, basically twice as much content. That's it's pretty. St- I mean, the quality of the content is not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's fun. It's more. It's more freeform. It's funnier. Yes, it's very fun, and if you need a little escape and more podcasts to fill your time, it's definitely for you anyway if you like our voices and you just want to hear us shoot the shit (laughs) alright well oh and email us questions comments concerns suggestions all that culturethepodcast at gmail.com and bye bye bye